Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. In this segment, we're talking to Jennifer Palmer, who covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She's been covering recent developments in the ongoing financial scandal at Epic Charter Schools. Jennifer, what's the latest? The big news recently is that the two co-owners and longtime chief financial officer were arrested and charged with a series of financial crimes, including embezzlement and racketeering. And uh, how did that alleged scheme work, according to the investigators? It was pretty complicated, the way they laid it out um, in the charging documents. Um, But what it boiled down to was the investigators say uh, these these three men, David Cheney, Ben Harris, and Josh Brock, um, started the school and also opened a um, for-profit company they set up the school to re- to give 10% of their funding to the for-profit company for managing the school. But the school actually did the work that the company was supposed to do. And they also, in addition to the 10%, received funds for student purchases um, like laptops and um, curriculum and things like that, and and the company used those funds in ways that were not for students. And uh, these men allegedly fleeced the state out of how much money? According to the OSBI, we're looking at $22 million or possibly more. You read through the affidavit outlining the charges. What surprised you? One of the main things that really surprised me was that the investigators say these men continued embezzling even after the state's investigative audit began. Um, They set up a different shell company uh, to conceal where the funds were going, where their profits were going. They also really treated their credit cards like a personal slush fund, according to the charging documents using the same card to buy things for students in Oklahoma, also students in California, and then personal expenses too, like vacations and campaign donations. And uh, one of the men, David Cheney, used that credit card to earn points. And the the investigators say he earned like 5 million points on that card worth like $40,000. Talk about the campaign donations that you mentioned. Who received those and did they they lead to any favorable treatment for Epic or, or for the founders? So we've written about the campaign donations before. I mean, these are, are mostly public. Um, and what we didn't know was that these guys were allegedly using um, student funds to make these donations, not personal funds. So, you know, Joy Hoffmeister was one of the top recipients Governor Stitt also received campaign donations from these men. Um, And uh, Hoffmeister said, you know, if they thought it would lead to preferential treatment, they were mistaken. She has now said she will return 
the amount that they gave to public schools. Stitt has also come out and said he'll return the funds, but to a private school crossover academy. Um, and another senator um, received some money, and he did author a bill right after that. So th- they did. The investigators did draw some connections between the donations and then the treatment with some folks. And who else got donations from Cheney and Harris? Well, there were a couple of big organizations mentioned in the affidavit. The State Chamber um, of Oklahoma received over $50,000 in two separate payments. Uh, Now, the State Chamber actually intervened in a lawsuit that the state auditor had brought against EPIC. So that was interesting. Um, And then the OCPA got over $100,000 from these guys OCPA has been a huge supporter of EPIC and has been a big critic of the state auditor. Uh, OCPA, for those who may not know, is the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs, I think fairly uh, described as a uh, highly conservative think tank and and, uh, politically active. That's right. Okay. Um, The arrests and charges were announced on Thursday. What was the reaction like? Well, it was interesting. We were actually in a state board of education meeting when the charges became public. Um, you know, there was at least from current school owner, you know, the the school um, board president and the superintendent were not really surprised. Uh, in fact, Paul Campbell, the the school board chair, said this has been a long time coming. You know, we've been waiting for this. We expected this. And I think that was largely the reaction from a lot of folks. So what's next for, for EPIC? Do we know? I mean, the school continues to enroll students and educate kids as they have been all along. One thing I am certainly watching for is whether the superintendent, Bart Banfield, will face any um, action as a result of this investigation. The OSBI mentioned him in the affidavit. It said he knew there were fake invoices being submitted to the State Department of Education. And Cindy Bird has also said that he played a logistical role in this whole scheme. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read Jennifer's story about the arrests of the founders of Epic Charter Schools and all her other investigative work at OklahomaWatch.org. In this segment of Long Story Short, I'm with Lionel Ramos, who covers race and equity at Oklahoma Watch. He's been working on a story about a new law that will reduce the number of weeks Oklahomans can claim unemployment benefits, taking it from 26 weeks down to 16. That law will take effect January 1st. Lionel's been at the unemployment office asking Oklahomans what difference a reduction in weeks would make in their lives. Lionel, before we get into that, tell me a little more about this law. What's it called and what else does it do? Yeah, so as you said, uh, House Bill 1933 by Representative Ryan Martinez, a Republican from Edmond, uh, reduces the number of weeks Oklahomans can claim unemployment from 26 to 16. That takes effect January 1st of next year. Uh, also, starting January 1st of 2025, the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission will base the number of weeks Oklahomans can claim unemployment <laughs> on the average number of approved weekly claims in the third fiscal quarter of the previous year. All that means is based on the number of average weekly claims at the end of last July, whatever year we're in. 
And what was Representative Martinez's thought process behind the bill? Any insight to his motivations here? I haven't been able to get a hold of him personally yet. Uh, I called his office a few times and uh, went over there yesterday. Uh, he wasn't in. But there has been some reporting by the Oklahoman and the Journal Record about what he was thinking when he introduced the law originally in 2021, actually, last last session. Um, the goal is to incentivize Oklahomans to rejoin the workforce and take quote-unquote, stopgap jobs while they find employment that better fits their needs. Uh, That, in turn, helps employers fill needed positions. Uh, It also gives the unemployment trust a bit of a a cushion so it can pay out in the future. How does it provide a cushion? Well, for each person that claims unemployment, that's 10 fewer weeks they're getting paid. Uh, Everyone gets a different amount of unemployment based on their income, so it's hard to project. But that money the commission gets to hold on to adds up over time. And this is kind of the basic breakdown. Oklahomans will get 16 weeks if the number of claims are at 5,000 or below. Um, And then for every two weeks, or they'll add two weeks for every additional 15,000 claims. And then the max is 20 weeks. Um, And then there's kind of a caveat where at 40,000 or more claims, then the Oklahomans will get those 26 weeks that they're used to. All right. So the, the formula says that if unemployment is particularly high, the benefits last longer, but in periods of low unemployment, then uh, the the benefit period is reduced uh, rather substantially. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And so, in essence, for Oklahomans to get the maximum amount of weeks that they're used to, 26, there would have to be something like a catastrophic event, like a pandemic or something like that, that would put people in unemployment. You've been over at the unemployment office a couple of times this past week trying to get a a sense of what unemployed Oklahomans are thinking and feeling about this law. What have you learned from them? Yeah, so I want to start by saying that I spoke to a little over 10 people in total as they waited in a queue in the lobby and came in and out of the back where I didn't have access. Um, Not a single person that I spoke to was aware that this law exists. Uh, And... (laughs) So after some conversation, there was a mix of reaction from folks. Uh, some, you know, feel they, they shouldn't take jobs that they would be overqualified and underpaid for. Uh, others see the need for businesses to fill vacant positions. I spoke to one woman who's a, a kitchen manager for a school district, uh, and she's said that over the course of the school year, she's constantly understaffed. Um, so she thought it was a good thing, even though she relies on unemployment during the summer. Uh, she said that she expected the full 26 weeks. Uh, I thought that was interesting. But in general, with rising prices everywhere, uh, no one was looking forward to feeling the squeeze of potentially relying on unemployment and not getting it. And where did they tell you they're likely to feel that squeeze in their household budgets? This was uh, interesting because it was pretty much the same across the board. Uh, Didn't really matter what situation people were in. Uh, Rent or mortgage uh, and then home insurance, cars, uh, one or multiple, and then insurance for those. Uh, utilities, groceries, and transportation, and uh, child care were the top mentions. It, how is the law going to affect businesses? If the law works the way it's intended to, uh, vacant positions at businesses really across industries should be filled with, with workers. Um, what I understand from talking to a private practice attorney who used to work for the Unemployment Commission uh, is that this law lawyers lowers the taxes employers will have to pay for having people on unemployment. Uh, So what do you mean by that? How does that work? 
So this is when it's important to remember what the benefit is called. It's called unemployment insurance. It works kind of like car insurance at a really basic level. Uh, employers and employees pay into the unemployment fund by way of a tax. And the more uh, employees lose their job and file claims against any given employer, the more that employer has to pay in taxes. So the more people at work, the more people that would you know, take these stopgap jobs, the lower the taxes for businesses. So what's the big takeaway here, Lionel? You know, there were people who were filing for the first time ever, um, for the first time in, in 15 or 30 years, uh, who said that they lived a certain lifestyle with wages, you know, in the low 50,000s a year, which is the median income uh, in Oklahoma. And to them, taking a job that doesn't pay the bills means losing real assets and wealth that they've built over time, like homes, cars. Um, and on a more granular level, it's the difference between choosing to walk down the snack aisle your kids are trailing behind you or not. Uh, I didn't sense a lot of optimism in people going forward about employment and wages and whether they were going to be able to sustain themselves. All right. Well, thanks, Lionel. You'll be able to read uh, Lionel's story about the change in the unemployment law in Oklahoma and all his other investigative work at oklahomawatch.org. Oklahoma County voters have approved a $260 million bond package to fund construction of a new county jail. Criminal justice reporter Keaton Ross has the latest on what's next. Keaton, county officials have floated the idea of building a new jail for more than a decade. What made this effort successful? So there was widespread support among uh, county officials and business leaders. All three county commissioners supported this plan. And then we also saw people like Mayor David Holt and Sheriff Tommy Johnson and all sorts of folks uh, get into the campaign and say this is needed. So, and there was lots of advertising. You know, if you're driving around, you probably in Oklahoma County, you probably saw signs that said "fix the jail." So a lot of support and a lot of you know public outreach about this this effort. Now the jail that we've had for decades has numerous design flaws that have been apparent almost since the day it opened. Uh, what will be different in a new in a new building? So the new jail, the plan is for it to be two stories compared to the current jail, which is 13 stories and the elevators break down and it's it's hard to get from one area of the jail to the other just because of you know the the height of it and so that will that will be an improvement and also just better, better sight lines so, you know, detention officers can see everyone more efficiently, um, better, more updated technology. Just the plan for it is, is to just be a, a better, more up-to-date facility all around. Now, uh, there will also be different living arrangements for detainees. Could you explain that? Yeah, so the plan is for a lot of housing units to be open, more open, dormitory style compared to the current jail, which is maximum security all around. Uh, people are locked up for 23 hours a day in a lot of cases. Uh, and it's not, it's not, that doesn't change based on if you're in there on a complaint of murder, or if you're in there on a complaint of forgery, um, it's kind of all the same. So that will be a significant change as far as it, it's more comparable to a place like Tulsa County and how they do it. Um, so that that will be an improvement in the eyes of jail officials. Where will the new jail be built? So we're not sure about that yet. 
we are sure that there's there's kind of a promise that it'll, it will be at least 10 minutes from downtown so you can efficiently transport people from the jail to the courthouse. Um, so likely somewhere close to downtown, but not right in downtown like the current jail. Do we have any idea when that new jail might open? So the plan right now is for it, the construction to end by the end of 2025 or 2026. Uh, so looking at about a three to four year time frame where the, the current jail will, will still be in use. Now, the $260 million won't pay for all of the construction, will it? No, it, it covers the total construction price is estimated at about $297 million. The bond is $260 million, so there's you know approximately $37 million that will have to be made up. How do county officials plan to make up that difference? So there's there's a few different uh, options that they've discussed. One is the new jail is expected to be more cost efficient and maintenance they're hoping won't be as expensive as it is with the current jail. So they're hoping they might be able to d- divert some funds they've been using on maintenance. Uh, anticipation bonds is essentially uh, what they're called and put those towards building the new jail. Um, there's also... This has died off some based on federal guidelines, but there has been some discussion that American Rescue Plan money could be used for very specialized purposes in the jail. Um, Of course, the federal government has said you can't use this money to build jails or prisons, but there's still been some discussion that maybe part of it could be used for, you know, mental health facility or that sort of thing. And how have the proposal's opponents reacted? Um... You know, they've they've been pretty adamant throughout the process of, you know, getting a contractor to look into a new jail and getting the proposal to the county commissioners and now all the way through to the vote that the county should be looking at criminal justice reforms, bail reform, getting diverting people away from the jail in the first place before they start to look at building a new jail. Uh, they say the, the proposed jail has too many beds. It's going to further mass incarceration. So... Um, certainly I think folks agree the current jail is in a decrepit state and the new one will probably be an improvement, but there's still some dissatisfaction about the number of people uh, being held in the, in the jail. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read uh, all of our Election Day coverage as well as Keaton Ross's work on criminal justice at OklahomaWatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Oklahoma Watch is a nonpartisan, nonprofit news organization. That means that we rely on readers and listeners like you to help fund the important work that Oklahoma Watch does throughout the state. We're in the middle of our spring fundraising campaign. If you enjoy the work we do, if you feel as though you benefit from it and the state of Oklahoma benefits from what we do, please take a moment to visit our website and make 
any contribution that you're comfortable with, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever's comfortable for you will help keep this important work going. Visit our donations page at oklahomawatch.org.